The following audio is from Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com. Well, um, if you have your copy of God's Word, open with me to the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 14. Lord willing, we will finish out chapter 14 today. And, uh, and then we're going to take a little break from 1 Corinthians. We've been in it now for over a year. And uh, we'll take a break for about five weeks And uh, we're going to look at what God has to say about stewardship uh, in conjunction with Imagine that is going on right now. Uh, Several of you, a lot of you in this room, are going through FPU, Financial Peace University, with us and uh, learning all sorts of things God says about managing the resources that He entrusts us with. And uh, so for the next five weeks or so, I'll be uh, looking even deeper into that with you in this room on Sunday mornings. And then we'll come back at the end of that, and uh, we'll be thoroughly by that time into uh, uh, Thanksgiving and, and in between Thanksgiving and Christmas, and we should be able to finish out uh, 1 Corinthians together, I'm hoping, by the first of the year. Uh, and who knows where we'll go after that. Uh, but uh, has 1 Corinthians been good for you? And you don't have to say that just because I'm up here looking at you. Uh, I, I think it's been good for me in that it's been hard. It's been hard for me to preach some of these things. And you, didn't, you need to know that as, as your pastor. It's been hard. Um, I don't like having to come and talk to you about some of these things. Uh, but that the church in Corinth was a church that was messed up in a lot of ways. And, uh, and we, if we're not careful, if we're not carefully pay, paying attention to the Word of God and, and depending on the Spirit of God to lead us into all truth, we can be just as messed up. And maybe we are. Maybe we are in our own ways. And we need the Word of God. And that's why even coming to a passage today that may be one of the hardest passages in all of the Bible, today not only do I get to, again, tackle the issue of speaking in tongues in a Baptist church, but on top of that, Paul throws in a section on why women should be silent in church today. So uh, the only thing that could make this a little more difficult for me is if he talked about snakes in this passage or something like that. So i uh, glad that he didn't. But, uh, but we're going to look at this together, and we're going we're to take this on because we know that this is the Word of God and that it's good for us, that we need it, right? So um, let, let's, let me read this, and then I'll come back and, and kind of intro where we're going with it. So look with me at 1 Corinthians chapter 14, beginning in verse 26. What then, brothers... When you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two or at most three, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there's no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak, and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one, so that all may learn and all be encouraged. And the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. As in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches. For they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission. As the law also says... If there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home. For it is shameful, shameful for a woman to speak in church. 
Or was it from you that the word of God came? Or are you the only ones it has reached? If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. So, my brothers, earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues. But all things should be done decently and in order. Before I intro this, would you pray with me? Let's pray that God would be our teacher today. Lord, we come before this passage, and God, I come with fear and trembling, not because I am unprepared or been lazy or slothful in in, in preparing for this, but God, this is tough. God, this is your word, and it's good for us, and we are committed to that. So God, I pray that you would speak through me to show us the truth here, and that we would take this truth by the power of your Spirit, and God, that we would apply it to ourselves and to this church for your own glory and for your own kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, no church sets out to be chaotic. No church sets out to be confusing. No church sets out to be called crazy. I heard one church described that way the other day. But we've all known some of these churches, haven't we? We've all seen some on TV or heard some on the radio or attended some. Hopefully you're not saying that about this one. (laughs) We've we've been a part of some churches or seen some churches that instead of six flags over Georgia, it's like six flags over Jesus. Instead of snakes on a plane, it's more like snakes on a pew. You know, it's, it's just crazy. You just walk in and you just think, this is nuts. This is confusing, and this is chaotic. And I don't believe any church seeks to be that when they start. I don't think any pastor comes to a church and says, I want to make things as confusing and chaotic and crazy as I possibly can make them. But if we all know some churches that are there, then we've got to ask the question, how do they get that way? It's, it's wise for us to take a look now when I believe we are at, at, a, at a healthy place. Not as healthy as we need to be, but I believe we're at a healthy place. And it's good for us now to look at what these things are that might trip us up and might lead us down a road to becoming chaotic and confusing. There's some key verses in this passage that tell us what this, the, the point of this passage really is. First off, in verse 26, he starts by saying, What then, brothers? It's a question that comes directly out of the previous sections, 1, verse 1 of chapter 14, down through verse 25. And that section can be broken up into two, where he, he has just come out of saying that there are certain types of worship where the believer is not built up. And there's also certain types of worship where the unbeliever is not evangelized. He's not led to the Lord. And so he he just has described this type of worship that is not helpful for either, and he says, what then? So that in itself tells us that he's here going to describe chaotic worship services. He's going to describe for us what worship should look like. He's going to describe what we should be striving for. Verse 26 also, he says, let all things be done for building up. This is a repeated theme throughout. If you go all the way back to chapter 12, and chapter 12 starts this whole section of spiritual gifts in the church, 
In chapter 12, verse 7, he says there, to each is given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And it's this theme repeated through these three chapters of when we come together as a church, one of the main things we should strive for is to build one another up. Yes, yes, we should strive to have this vertical worship, this vertical relationship, this vertical expression of our love and devotion and our responding to God. But there should also be this horizontal expression where we reach out to one another and we love one another and we pull one another along and push one another along toward Christ together. Verse 33, he says, For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. Apparently, we read from this statement and from this passage that the church in Corinth, their worship services were anything but a reflection of God. That they were confusing. That they were chaotic. That they were crazy to an extent. In fact, verse 23, before we in this passage, he says in verse 23, will they not say that you are out of your minds? He was describing worship in the, in the Corinthian church and saying that it's anything but a reflection of God. In verse 40, it says, but all things should be done decently and in order. Paul wanted their gatherings to be a true reflection of God. This passage is about correcting their crazy patterns for worship and building in the church at Corinth a pattern that looked more like God. Hence the the title for this entire series, Walking Through the Book of 1 Corinthians Together, uh, a living reflection of the living God. The church at Corinth was not reflecting God so much as they were reflecting the culture around them. And we see this even in their worship gatherings. And I would say to you, church, the last thing that we want to be is confusing or chaotic or crazy. The last thing I want to lead us to be as a church is any of those things. So I want to walk through this passage today in the context of this question. This is the title for this sermon. In the context of this question, how do churches become chaotic? How do churches become chaotic? chaotic. And I've got six little brief points through this. I won't go as in-depth in this passage as some of you would like for me to go, but so much of it we have already covered in previous sermons. So if you haven't been here and you haven't listened over the past several weeks, those are up on the podcast, and you can go and you can listen to those. And if, if you don't know what a podcast is, somebody can help you, and we'll get those to you, okay? Uh, but I, I won't go as in-depth, but I want to give you six ways that churches become chaotic. First is this, by adopting the mindset of a consumer instead of a contributor. Verse 26, he says, what then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. And, and I think this may not be a major point in the text, but at least it's a minor point that we must notice, is that the reason he lists this, this out, this each one has a hymn or a revelation or these things, it, it again echoes this each one language that we've been hearing all through chapters 12, 13, and 14. In chapter 12, I've already said, verse 6, he says, it's the same God who empowers them all, talking about spiritual gifts, in everyone. Verse 7 of chapter 12, he says, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit. 
Chapter 12, chapter 12, verse 11 says, All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually at his will, as he wills. So I don't think we should miss the fact here that Paul is pointing out that everybody in the church has something to offer. He has been very deliberate and he has labored hard not to condemn the practice of speaking in tongues or any other gift. Instead, what he has done his job, done a very good job doing is, is to say, look, everyone has been given a gift. Every believer has been endowed by the Spirit of God with a gift, something that they can contribute to the whole. He uses the body language. He says everybody has something to contribute. You read all through the gifts, and you read the various places in the New Testament where different spiritual gifts are listed out, and none of those, none of those lists are the same, which tells us that they're not exhaustive, that they're not ranked, they're not any of those things. But nowhere in any of those lists is there the gift of consumer. What's your spiritual gift? Oh, I'm a consumer. Well, how does that play out? Well, I go to church. What do you do when you go to church? Well, I consume. You just take. Nowhere in Scripture is there anyone endowed with the gift of being a consumer. Yet so many people are consuming and not contributing in the church. See, the issue here is not so much with debating the gifts. Most churches, the problem there is they would rather debate the gifts rather than employ the gifts. And I think the point for us here is that if we're going to become a chaotic church, one of the ways it starts is when we adopt this mindset of being consumers instead of contributors. I want to read to you a short passage from Nine Marks of a Healthy Church from Mark Dever. He says in this book, he says, Church membership is our opportunity to grasp hold of each other in responsibility and love. By identifying ourselves with a particular church, we let the pastors and the other members of the local church know that we intend to be committed in attendance, giving, prayer, and service. We allow fellow believers to have greater expectations of us in these areas, and we make it known that we are the responsibility of this local church. We assure the church of our commitment to Christ in serving with them, and we call for their commitment to serve and encourage us as well. Joining a church increases our sense of ownership of the work of the church, of its community, of its budget, of its goals. We move from being, hear this, pampered consumers to becoming joyous proprietors. We stop arriving late and complaining that we don't get exactly what we want. Instead, we arrive early and try to help others with what they need. We must begin to view membership less as a loose affiliation useful only on occasion and more as a regular responsibility involving us in one another's lives for the purposes of the gospel. Let us never be a church that adopts this mindset individually or as a corporate whole that what is required of us is nothing more than coming and sitting. See, what happens, the way this leads to being a confusing and a chaotic church is that the more this goes on on Sunday mornings in our gatherings with people just coming and sitting and just consuming, and if you're here today as a visitor and you're just checking things out, please don't hear me telling you to leave. We want you to be here. But if you've been here for an extended amount of time and you've not yet found a way to contribute, what are you waiting for? 
Because what happens is when you simply sit and take, it sends a message and it filters down to others who will come in after you. But this is all that's required. And it eventually winds up poisoning the church. It's a slow death that the church dies when it begins in the pews with members that don't contribute, they only consume. Secondly is this. How do churches become chaotic? Secondly, by attempting to bite off more than we can chew. In verses 27 and 29, verse 27, the first part he says, If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two or, th- two or at most three. And then in verse 29, he says, let two or three prophets speak. Well, in everything I read this week preparing for this sermon, and I read a lot this week, I got bogged down in reading this week, probably too much so, to the point where I couldn't really watch the Clemson game last night because I was still working on this sermon last night during the game. But in everything I read last night, in everything I read last night, or this week, everything I read this week, Nowhere, nobody said anything about why Paul puts limits here of two or three. Two or three people speaking in tongues at the most. Two or three prophets. So I have to use my imagination here, and I think what I might speculate would be this, that since he's talking about speaking in tongues with interpretation, this communication of truth through tongues with interpretation, or prophecy from God through the, the, the members of the church, Since he's talking about this within the corporate gathering, and since he puts limits on it, I can't help but to speculate that there's a he's concerned with trying to take in too much at one time. And maybe I'm wrong in this, but I I think this could be applied this way. Um, He's concerned that the truth of what's being said won't be processed and it won't be applied. And I believe that one of the greatest ailments that plagues the church today is the lack of thinking about what is heard. Let me say that again. I think one of the greatest ailments plaguing the church today is the lack of thinking about what is heard. I think this happens for a couple of different reasons. I think one of the reasons is that Satan comes quickly whether it's through a word given through a a church member, another believer to another believer, or whether it's the sermon delivered to you sitting there. I think Satan sometimes comes quickly and snatches it away with thoughts of lunch or of football or of shopping or of any number of things that would fill our minds. And I think this is what was being addressed when Jesus tells the parable of the sower. In Matthew chapter 13 when he said, A sower went out to sow. And and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on the rocky ground where they did not have much soil. And immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. I think one of the things, one of the reasons why we don't think and process what has been said in the course of a gathered worship service is because Satan comes quickly to steal it away. Life gets in the way. Life chokes it out before we ever say, Lord, what does this mean for me? Notice I didn't say, what does this mean to me? I don't think the scripture is up to private interpretation. 
But it does require something of us. It does require us to think it through and say, God, what does this require for me now, now that I've heard this? What do you want from me? I think another reason why we don't think through what we hear in the gathered service together is because we're just not used to delighting in the law of the Lord. This is Psalm 1, 1 through 2. It says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. I don't think we're a people that are trained and disciplined to savor and marinate in the Word of God. I believe one of the reasons churches become chaotic is because they're constantly trying to bite off more than they can chew. And I think one of the greatest things that we could do is to slow down. And you say, well, wait a minute, you're giving us more than we can chew right now. Well, I'm trying not to. But if, if you can't do anything else this afternoon but take one of these points, then take one of these points and take it and marinate on it. Chew it. Think it through. Third is this. How do churches become chaotic? By always talking and never listening. This is what was going on in the church at Corinth. Obviously, he says about speaking in tongues, he said that if these two or three should speak in tongues in a service, let them each speak in turn. When it comes to prophecy, he says, if a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent, for you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and all be encouraged. Apparently what was happening in the church at Corinth is they were valuing tongues to the point where they believed that if they could speak in tongues, they were displayed as being more spiritual than someone else. So the quicker they could speak and the louder they could speak and the more they could talk over someone else, the more spiritual they would be seen. And Paul says, you're always talking, but you're never listening. Why can't you speak one by one? And this in itself shows that speaking in tongues is not simply is, is not some out-of-body ecstatic experience where the person's out of control. They must be in control if they're going to take turns. First time I ever went to, I'll get in trouble for saying this, but the first time I ever uh, went to my in-laws for Christmas, when Lana and I were dating and we had not yet married, um, I had grown up in a, in a very quiet home. Mom and dad, very quiet. Everybody's real quiet. Everybody takes turns to talk. Nobody's talking over one another. In fact, sometimes you have to kind of prod one another to talk. It's just kind of awkward. You get in the truck to go to Walmart with dad, and nobody says a word the whole way there. You know, it's just that's the family I grew up in. But I go to Lana's house first time for Christmas, and I meet her sisters and her mom, and it was constantly talking loud and over top of one another all the time. And she's sitting right down here. She knows this about herself, about her family. They, <laughs> they, uh, they like to talk over one another. And the first time I went, i gotta be te- I got to be honest, I was scared to death. I walked in this place, and I thought, what, what just happened? What's going on in here? You know, I just, I got to get out. I mean, I found myself like out on the back deck a lot, you know, just like sitting out, you know, there in the cold. You should come inside. It's like 15 degrees out here. That's okay. I'm good. <laughs> but I've learned over the years that that's just how they are. And so when I go to Lana's family, I have to, if I'm going to be heard, I've got to just speak up over top of somebody. I've got to get in there or I won't get in, right? Well, this is what was going on in the church. In the church, it's a little different than the spirit that it goes on in Lana's family. 
not in his family, it's all in love, and they know they love one another. But in the church, when someone's talking over you and won't let you talk, and they just seek their own, it comes across as being very unloving. And this is what was going on. Paul says, you're always talking, but you're never listening. They're not waiting for another brother or sister to finish. James 1.19 says, let every person be quick to hear and slow to speak, slow to anger. Philippians 2 verse 3 says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. One of the ways that, church, if we're going to become confusing and chaotic and crazy will be when we begin to put our own needs before the needs of our brothers and our sisters. If we would look out for one another and seek to serve one another and sometimes be quiet so that someone else can be heard, we will be anything but chaotic. There will be a message that will be communicated when others come in here, when unbelievers come in and they see how we love one another, they will say, they must really love their God. Their God must be real. God is really in this place. That's how we left them last week. Unbelievers, or that, that would be the case for unbelievers, but believers in this place, believers will come in and they will find a place, not when we want this to be narcissistic and all about the person, but they will find this to be a place where they belong. And shouldn't the church of God be a place where people belong? One of the messages that is communicated by these kids leading in worship up here today and it sometimes, I understand, it, it sometimes, you know, is, is not perfect. I mean, words are not pronounced exactly right, and sometimes people get ahead and this sort of thing. But that happens every week anyway. So, but what's communicated with these kids leading worship is that we all come to God the same way. We all come to the foot of the cross where the ground is completely level. And we don't have the right to look at someone else and say, well... I'm glad I'm not there anymore. We look at one another as brothers and sisters and we love one another. And this is what he's saying here. If we're going to be clear, we cannot always be talking and never listening. Fourth is this. Churches become chaotic by thinking that truth doesn't matter. He finishes out these statements in 27 and 29, these sections on tongues and prophecy, because those were indeed the the issues at Corinth. He finishes them out in verse 27 saying, if someone's going to speak in tongues, there's got to be someone to interpret. He says, if someone's going to prophesy, then let the others weigh what is said. Let them sift through it. Let them make sure that what is being said lines up with the rest of what is given to us by God in Scripture. Verses 32 and 33, where he says, The spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. What he's saying there is that when one of us speaks to one another, there will be, if it's true, and if it's really from God, it will be confirmed among all of us. God's not going to say something to you and then say something different to me. God's not a God of confusion. God is a God of peace. And he leads his people in this way. And this is something that the outside world, those outside of the church who do not have the Spirit of God, they cannot understand this. But those of us who have the Spirit know this. Know that when we come together, we know what it's like to be led by the Spirit of God when it's confirmed between brothers and sisters 
privately in the Spirit, and then it comes out publicly when when we're together. If you listen to a lot of contemporary Christian music, a lot of contemporary Christian radio stations, you understand that uh, the songs don't exactly have to be true in order to be popular. I mean, there's some, there's some lyrics out there on contemporary Christian radio that are, that are just awful. And I won't give you any of those because you'd be, you know, you know, burning CDs and everything else. I don't want you to do that. But I, I want you to pay attention and think about, is what's being sung here true? Also, likewise, you, you look at many churches, and many churches, they don't have to be saying a lot of truth either in order to be popular. I mean, auditoriums, huge auditoriums are being filled to capacity. Enormous TV ministries are, are just, I mean, just swamped and followed. But what's being said in so many of those is not the gospel. It's not scripture. It's not Bible. And I don't know why we should be surprised because God has told us this would happen in his word. Second Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 and 4 says, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. That's why Second Timothy, right before this, Paul writes to Timothy and he says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Church, if we're going to be clear, if we're going to be not confusing, if we're going to be a church that is where everything is done decently and in order for the glory of God, we will always have a concern for the truth. That we know what God has said and we, we are rightly applying this. The fifth is this, or sixth, I guess. What number am I on? Five, right? Fifth is this. How do churches become chaotic? By ignoring God's design. And this is the one you were waiting for me to get to. And I'm going to disappoint you. Because I have already dealt with this issue in a previous sermon. But in verses 33 through 35, we see that the church in Corinth is ignoring God's design. As in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches. For they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. If there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Now, it's hard to know why Paul writes this here. Because it seems like this is out of place. When you read this, it just seems sort of like all of a sudden he goes to this issue. He's been talking about speaking in tongues in public worship and prophecy in in public worship. And then all of a sudden he just, don't let women talk. Why? This has caused some confusion. Some believe, I read all sorts of commentators this week, some say that Paul didn't write this. But this is not Paul at all, that, that this little section here, 33 through 35, is not Paul at all. That, that instead, somewhere later on, some scribe somewhere wrote this in the margin, and then somewhere beyond him, some scribe beyond that, wrote it into the text, and then it made its way to us. There's evidence not, that does not support that, in that all of the earliest manuscripts that we have include this. So that would mean that that scribe would have had to have done it very, very, very early on. So there's reason here to think that this is Paul. Well, others say, well, okay, if this is Paul, maybe he wrote this, but I don't think he wrote it there. I think Paul wrote it 
after verse 40, and somewhere along the way, somebody moved it into this position. Well, the truth is, we don't know for sure. We don't know where Paul exactly intended to put it. We, we only have these Bibles that are laying in our laps right here, right? Or that we've turned on and scrolled to where we are today, right? We only have these Bibles. And here's what we know, that this is the Word of God, Amen. that this is true, and that it comes from a good God because He has saw fit to preserve it. And if He has seen fit to preserve this for us, then we need this. Even in the 21st century, in 2013, where when you read something like this, people like to throw stones at you. And people like to say, you're an idiot. You're a bigot. Even now, this is the Word of God, and we need this. This is not, here's what we do know about this passage, when Paul says uh, women should keep silent in the churches. We, we know that this is not a blanket, universal statement of all women at all times in worship should keep silent. We know this because already in chapter 11, verses 2 through 16, he has already made statements there about when women prophesy in church and when women speak in tongues in church and this sort of thing. And he permits it. He endorses it there in chapter 11. So he's not saying here that all the time, in all ways, women should not participate in worship. You should just come and sit and be quiet. Instead, the context here, the direct context, is in the weighing of prophecy. And what he's saying here is he's saying, I believe, that women are not permitted to speak up in judgment against prophecy or even in favor of prophecy. This is, this is an issue of male headship, the way God's designed this, the, the church to function. We read this in chapter 11 where, where um, uh, Paul writes there that uh, the head of God, the head of Christ is God, the head of Every man is Christ, and the head of every man is woman, or the head of every woman is man. We see this all through Scripture that God has has set this thing up this way, and I won't go into every detail of this because I don't have time. And I've already dealt with this in detail in chapter eleven. And again, if you'd like to go back and listen to the podcast, there, it's there for you to listen to. But here's what we know: we know that men and women have been created equal. They've been endowed with equal dignity. But when God created men and women, he designed them with different roles. They're both equal. They, they, they're both equally dignified in the eyes of God and should be fully dignified in our eyes. But they're made to function in, diff in different roles. And I believe that's all he's saying here is that there are some things in the church that God has designed to function in certain ways. And if we're going to become chaotic as churches, it will be because we ignore that design. We could go and we could list a lot of different things about how God has designed certain things to work. One of those would be preaching. Some people also say, isn't preaching out of date? I mean, isn't preaching a little... little archaic. I mean, shouldn't we instead maybe do drama? Maybe we, maybe we should come in here and we should do like, we should invest millions of dollars in video equipment and we should just do videos every week. Maybe we should do that. But Paul tells Timothy, preach the word. Be ready 
in season and out of season, when it's not popular, when people are saying, really, preaching? We say, God's designed it this way. Therefore, we do it. Churches become chaotic when they ignore the design of God. Last is this. Churches become chaotic by thinking they are special. By thinking they are special. Verses 36 through 38, he says, Or was it from you that the word of God came? Or are you the only ones it has reached? If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. The Corinthians were guilty of thinking that they were somehow special or unique, and they did this in at least a couple of ways. Number one, Paul says to them, was it from you that the word of God came? The Corinthians were living in such a way that they felt like they could ignore certain parts of the apostolic doctrine, that they could, they could simply write their own verses. If they didn't like what the word of God said, then they could push that off and write their own policy. They could write 3 Corinthians or whatever the case may be. They were ignoring this. A second way that they felt that they were special, they were above the Word of God, but a second way was they felt like they were set apart and on their own and not connected to the other churches at all. That's what he says there when he says, or are you the only ones it has reached? Paul says, look around, look around you. This is the way it's done in all of the other churches. And this is not simply saying that we should all line up and be the same, but that there are certain orthodox practices that were handed down from the apostles that are agreed upon that must be in place. They believed that they had something other churches didn't. That they were in it for for themselves and they didn't really care about the other churches at all. They wanted to do things the way they wanted to do that, whether that meant ignoring Scripture and writing it for themselves or just living apart from other churches and ignoring what was done. Churches get chaotic when they begin thinking they are special. And and here's what I don't mean. I don't mean that we should not be aware of the great grace that we have received in Christ. I think when, when we come to worship, we should be, it should be put in front of us constantly of the sacrifice that was made for us in Christ. That Jesus lived, that he died, that he was raised from the dead for us. And I think that should cause us to think, why me? And in turn, that should in some ways show us the special favor that we've been given by God, but it should never come to its end crashing down on us. Instead, it should be deflected and returned to our God. Oh God, why me? You are glorious in all that you've done. But here's what I do mean. That we should never, as individuals or as a church, begin to see ourselves as unique when it comes to scriptural accountability or local church comparison. We should, we should never come to the Word of God and say, well, you know, that's probably for another time. We'll just ignore that one. We can't do that. We come to the Word of God as the Word of God, or we don't come to it at all. We also can't look at our brothers and sisters that are in churches in our neighborhood 
and ignore them. We can't look at them and say, well, you're on your own. I hate the way things are over there for you, but hey, you know, what are we to do? I think we should be a praying people that looks at churches around us that are struggling and hurting and and reaches out to pastors that are struggling and hurting and pulls them in and says, can we pray for you? What can we do to help you? What can we do to build you up? Whether that's here in our neighborhood or in the nations. Trinity Life in Toronto is a church that we're partnering with. The proceeds from our golf tournament are going to help support this brand new church start that just started, just launched last month, downtown Toronto. Doctrine like ours, philosophy like ours in Toronto. And we're saying to them, we want to pray for you. We want to financially help to support you by sending you this gift. And, and, and we want to come. We want to send people there to be on site with you. Just to, if nothing else, walk alongside you and encourage you. Let us be a church that is not confusing or chaotic, but is clear. Let it start by thinking that we are special in what we have received, but that we're not so special that we are apart from being accountable to the Word of God or apart from brothers and sisters who are serving with us. I'll end with this. Church can be a place of great confusion or a place of great clarity. Churches can be a place where people come in and they're not helped at all. Where unbelievers come in and they come in with unbelief and condemnation and they walk out with unbelief and condemnation because they never hear the gospel. Churches can be a place where believers come in but they're not helped at all because they're not built up. Everyone's in it for themselves and doing their own thing and always talking and never listening and not concerned with truth and all this. And they will come in needing to be built up and needing to be helped along in following Christ and they can leave needing to be built up and helped along to follow Christ. Or churches can be places where unbelievers wander in and hear the clarity of the gospel in the voice from the pulpit and in the voice from the people. And they leave this place with hope and no more condemnation because they've met Christ through the witness of this church. And churches can be places of great clarity where believers come in and they're young in their faith, but they're trusting Christ and they don't know exactly all of what it entails, but a, another believer comes alongside them and says, you know what, I want to look out for your needs. What can I do to serve you? And they talk to them in ways that it shows them what it means to follow Christ. And they meet with them in the week over coffee perhaps, and they just sit down and they say, let's look at this passage together. And they walk away from this place every week being helped to look more like Christ. I'm praying that we would be churches, a church that is clear in the gospel. That's why Paul says there in verses 39 and through 40, I think he's saying this to them. He says, so, my brothers, earnestly desire to prophesy and don't forbid speaking in tongues, but all things should be done decently and in order. Let's be that kind of church. Let's pray. God, this has been a heavy text in a lot of ways. God, I pray that you would take it and that you would make it clear. God, that it would be convicting. But God, that that conviction would not simply last until we say 
amen and we dismiss, but God, that that conviction would come to its full end to leading us to repentance and faith. God, that you would make us a church that's clear in the gospel. God, that we would not ignore your design, but God, that we would embrace it. God, that we would would be quick and, and fast to search for truth. God, all these things, God, would you build in us and make us a healthy church. God, make us a clear church where the gospel is heard and people are helped for your glory. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We want to take some time at the end of the service and we build this in intentionally so that you can take what you've heard and you can think about it. That you can reflect on this. This is an application point directly out of this sermon. That you can take the Word of God and you can sit while Ethan plays. And you can simply think, what does this mean for me? What does this require of me? And then after a little while, Ethan will then invite you to stand and sing with, with him. And we'll sing together and we'll respond in that way. And during that time, I'm going to be seated down here on the front. And if anyone's here and you need to repent of your sin and trust Christ for salvation, I'd love to talk with you. If you're here and maybe there's just something you need to talk to me about and you'd like for me to pray with you about, I'd love to talk with you. Maybe you're here and you say, this is the church where I believe God's leading me to to join and become a member of, then I'd love to talk with you. Maybe there's something else that I can't list or name here, but God is saying to you right now, the quietness of your soul, where you sit, and you know it requires action. If I can help you in any way, I'd love to help you. If there's a member in this church that can help you in any way, I believe they'd love to help you. Let's be serious about following Christ, that wherever he leads us, there we will go. Let's worship our God. This time of teaching is brought to you by Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com.